1: The Super Bowl. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at Gretch Find my newsletter at bengretch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Find all of his incredible work at Roto-Viz. Sean, we're going to try to do a little bit of a shorter one today. We wanted to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. Get a lot of time to talk about, you know, next year's fantasy, all those things later this week, next week, <laughs> all the other weeks. <laughs> but it was a fun Super Bowl. There was also definitely some elements that, yeah, are worth talking about or worth discussing. It was uh, an entertaining game for sure. Yes,
2: as you mentioned, we have the months sort of opening up ahead of us here for, I don't know, I mean, it, it depends maybe on how much content you're putting out in the season, but there is an element of enjoying this part of the year the most when you have early best ball, you have prospect season, you have the combine, you have the draft, you have new dynasty leagues. And Ben, you and I did a fun show on how to set up your dynasty league, what formats work or what elements work uh, to make your format great. So if you missed it, check that out. I also was excited because I got the second part of your targets per route run article in my email coming through there for stealing signals. So if people are looking for that content from Ben, you're getting that now he's got a lot of other cool stuff coming out soon for you. So, I'm very excited to be a part of that. But as you mentioned, this is the week for the Super Bowl. And you mentioned it was a fun Super Bowl. You kind of, hopefully, it's, it's okay to uh, pull back the curtain a little bit. You had mentioned to me that you had uh, some drinks during the Super Bowl, were enjoying that, that you maybe had uh, some fun, you know, partially drinking tweets in there that uh, you enjoyed, but weren't your most sober tweets i don't know how much of that do you feel like contributed to your enjoyment of the super bowl because i don't know i was a little disappointed by this second half
1: it was a disappointed game uh in a lot of ways but yeah no i mean I, i i have a thing where i i've told my wife for a few years now that the super bowl to me is sort of like feels like christmas since i you know since i've become an adult the dad and everything like I, I, I can't help it. Like I, I and I, and even just like saying that is like, yeah, it's kind of cliche, but I just get like so high energy on Super Bowl Sunday. Like I wake up, I, I can't get like my energy under control. I'm just super excited. It winds up always with me probably drinking more than I want to and all this stuff, having a great day. It's always Sounds a blast. Perfect. Yeah. It's always a blast. It's not like a negative thing, but it is a thing where, I don't know. It's just like a big celebration to me. It's a lot of fun. But I was, yeah, I was disappointed. And for anyone who saw some of my tweets, I was I was frustrated with the coaching staff. We talked in the last, the coaching staffs, so we talked in the last uh, few weeks how, especially going into championship weekend, how the final four head coaches were all ones that were prone to some of these sort of analytics mistakes or, you know, that's sort of how it's classified generally, right? Like um, all the models and things that look at fourth down decisions and look at, You know, some of the play sequencing, first and 10 run plays, second and 10 run plays are even worse if you do throw on first down and don't gain any yardage, you know, any kind of runs on second and long because you're setting up a third and long almost certainly. And and the conversion rates of like third and five and third and 10 are not much different. So you almost definitely don't want to be running on second and long. Saw some of that. We saw a lot of first down runs. We saw a lot of questionable decisions in terms of, you know, fourth down play calling and stuff. The Bengals came out, they went forward on fourth down on the first drive, which was nice to see, frankly. But we wound up with like 12 punts in this game, I think it was. Definitely some elements that were, I would just say, you know, not the, the peak of football, <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, and how much of this would be coaching versus, you know, kind of where we were with the players at that point we came into the game one of the big storylines was how would the cincinnati offensive line help hold up they didn't hold up particularly well down the stretch we had the odell beckham injury which you know really seemed to change the rams offense they just couldn't really get anything going after that point i, I had talked about one of the things i really loved about this postseason with the final eight teams all were very good on offense very good on defense. And all felt like they should be there. And then we get in the Super Bowl, and it's kind of one of these elements where when both teams are struggling on one side and, and more or less succeeding on the other side there in the second half. I mean, you can look at this as either bad offense or a very good defense, and then maybe bad offensive coaching or great defensive coaching. The other element is I wasn't necessarily expecting it, but I did kind of feel myself wishing those you know were Packers Bills instead. That that would have ended up making a more fun game given kind of how this melted down. But you mentioned those fourth down decisions. Obviously, the, the huge leverage points there in the game, the Bengals go for it twice, fail both times on passing attempts from Joe Burrow that just were kind of ugly plays, whereas the Rams succeeded, and perhaps it's no surprise to anyone that the player who
1: made that play happen was Cooper Cup. One of the things that I tweeted and was very frustrated about was right before that fourth down, the late one for the Bengals, the run on third and one, I just did not understand at all. I mean, you're within a minute, you're light on timeouts to me. I mean, the idea of just like converting the first down there while trying to run, which they ultimately didn't even convert is this sort of low upside decision when you still need to get into field goal range. And if you're able to get into field goal range, then the, you know, you can continue to press and think about scoring a touchdown and winning the game in regulation. This idea of like trying to run on third and one around midfield within a minute, and you're not even in field goal range yet. It just struck me as a, a really poor sort of like in, in terms of like probabilities and the ways that we think about the decisions you're making. I just, I, I was yelling at the TV. I was like, what are they doing? What, why? I, I was so sure at that point that we were going to get a field goal and get overtime and as soon as they called that run, I mean, it wasn't just like outcome-based that they didn't get the first down. I mean, I, I just – the fact that they didn't get the first down just further drives the point home that it wasn't that safe of a play. Like they were thinking it was a safe way to convert the first down and and, and earn a new set of downs, and yet they give to P. Ryan on third down. He doesn't get it. They burn a timeout anyway. Now they have fourth down, and they ultimately lose the game right there. You lose the Super Bowl just giving up a down. Like, you get four downs to get 10 yards. And, you know, you can gain nine yards on first down. So now you have three downs to get that yard. But you also have the drive in in larger, you know, stepping back. And, and like, we still need to gain enough yards to get to field goal range. You're not going to get a 15-yard run there uh, and get yourself into field goal range. I think it was just sort of a, an insane decision to to run the ball on third down. I actually would have understood a run on fourth more because at that point you're down to your final down but on third down it's not just that we need to convert this set of downs it's also we need to still think about the drive and the game we don't necessarily want to just be playing for overtime we want to be trying to win this if we can complete a 20-yard pass to jamar chase or t higgins our best players now we can use our timeout well into field goal range with the kicker that we have we're at the 30 or something and we can start to try to set up ways that we can take some shots at the end zone before the end of regulation. I don't know. What did you think about that third down play? Did you think it was as, as egregious as I did?
2: I did. I did. And for the reasons that you mentioned, right? Because the big picture, you know, you you can do both things that you need to do if you pass, which is to convert, but also, as you said, to improve your chances of being at the right field goal position and to score the touchdown because all of these elements stack up together in that you need to make that field goal as easy as possible. And one of the things that I think a team like the Bengals can be thinking here is that we have a star kicker so we can be a little bit more conservative, but you're talking about a young kicker to tie a Super Bowl, right? I mean, you don't want to put the, and maybe in some ways a super long field goal is going to feel like less pressure because you can just go back there and hit it. As opposed to kind of that middle distance where you're like, I got to straighten this out. I mean, we all know from different sports you played, you know, whatever your sport is, that if you're trying to guide the shot, that can be the worst possible scenario. You you get out there and hit it, shoot it, whatever it is. Uh, But in terms of even the trajectory, obviously the closer you get, the easier that field goal is to, to sneak between the uprights, not just get it there. And so from all of those perspectives, you're knocking your win probability down when you're compressing the time and you're expanding the different the distance, which is what you do with a running play. The other thing that I kind of wanted to get your take on here, that storyline in this game was that the things that we were concerned about with running the ball and with the running backs in general, that each team would put themselves in a position to lose based on that. And we saw cam makers really struggle. We saw the running plays from the Rams be very ineffective when Joe Mixon touched the ball as a running back, he was fine. You know, Certainly not explosive or difference-making, but fine. He does have a nice touchdown pass, so kind of a little cool play in there. And for people who are playing playoff contests, that touchdown pass did swing some pretty big differences in FFPC uh, postseason tournaments, which you, know, you and I would have preferred that he didn't throw that touchdown pass as we dropped down a little bit in the scoring there. I know Blair Andrews, and Hassan and Pat and Pete I think finished 18th and you know would have been right there at the very top without that touchdown pass so you know people probably not rooting for that play but he makes a nice play right on the other hand the Bengals running backs where they really let the team down and again where you can blame it on either the backs and their talent you can blame it on Joe Burrow you can blame it on how the plays were put together structurally but We get nine running back targets for the Bengals in this game and four total receiving yards. We get five receptions from Joe Mixon and one yard, and we get high leverage plays that Mixon isn't in on, right? A couple for P. Ryan. P. Ryan actually carries and fails before their first fourth down miss. And then early in the game, we had a Chris Evans attempted uh, target where they fail on third down and have to punt so you have a number of situations here where the Bengals running backs are not able to come through and so I did a recent article projected all 32 NFL backfields kind of a fun piece if people want to check that out but I was thinking that the Bengals probably do have enough behind Mixon with P Ryan and Evans both looking pretty good in some ways but I mean this game here makes an argument for The Bengals upgrading this position in one, in in some way, shape, or form. You know, maybe if you have a Naheem Hines kind of player in there, then they don't lose the game because their underneath passes really destroy the offense.
1: Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of really important things there, particularly from an execution standpoint. I think the Rams should have probably won this game going away. And so that's part of like the big storyline for me. And to be clear, like part of the reason I was talking to you about, you know, having a few drinks is I, I don't want to claim that I you know have all the details perfect. It's a, it's a little fuzzy, but my broad takeaway watching the game was that McVeigh was making a lot of uh, questionable decisions in in key spots, not just like fourth down punt decisions, but play calling, you know, running on, on some of the on some of these downs where it's not a good run setup situation. And ultimately, in, in my mind, McVay was keeping this game a lot closer than it had any right to be. And then the Bengals had this opportunity to kind of go and snatch it. And yet, especially down the stretch in the second half, the Bengals were leading for the majority. And team, the teams are just sort of trading punts. And I felt like the Bengals didn't have that killer instinct that we were talking about, but we always talk about We've talked about it throughout the whole season where when, when you're in that situation – You don't want to just cling to a lead. You want to put your foot on the throat of a team and put them away. They struggled to do that. Some of their play calls were a little bit too conservative. They were sort of kind of comfortable trying to just carry this lead out. Uh, And ultimately, the Rams get that really nice touchdown drive and and hats off to them. But that's the drive that you can't let them be in position to have. You can't let them still only be down four points when they haven't scored You know, basically since halftime. I think they had a field goal in the whole second half up until – up until that touchdown drive that was the go-ahead and ultimately game-winning touchdown drive late, and they had punted several times in the second half. The Rams continue to make these decisions. You, as the Bengals, need to be able to capitalize on that. Unfortunately, Taylor on the other side winds up putting his team in a position where they get sort of this gift horse. And and I, I go back to a comment you made earlier. I definitely felt – we talked on the show. I felt really bad for the Bills – when they went out and what they potentially, you know, this could have been the year. It probably felt like it could have been the year if they could have got through the chiefs, you watch the chiefs fall to the Bengals. The Bengals weren't necessarily massively impressive in that, that one. Then you watch the super bowl and you're like, as a, I mean, I, I still, I feel so bad for the bills fans. Like this to me, feels like it was, it was the bills year and they deserve to win this one, but the Bengals fans as well. There's so many diehard Bengals fans. They were so excited to get their first playoff win since 91 just back in week one and the, the potential for that to, to carry that all the way through to a Super Bowl win and to be right there. And ultimately, I mean, it, it really sucks that a lot of this comes back down to that Tyler boy drop on third and nine on the penultimate Bengals drive. If he's able to just catch that pass, you know, maybe it's fourth and one, maybe he's able to lean forward and get the first down. I don't think he's going to convert there. Do you think they're going to, I mean, it looked I, I clearly short to go me. For it. Yeah. Do you I think they're, think think they're going to go forward on that. I feel like you would have to in that situation, but maybe they wouldn't have, maybe they would have made a poor decision there. My thought was, if he catches that, you can go and you need to go. Cause I'm again, thinking from this very aggressive mentality, maybe they wouldn't have, maybe they would have punted. So it's interesting to hear you say that, but not, I I just, it it almost like whether that was a a crucial play or not, because maybe they wouldn't have converted and they would have punted anyway. It's, it's almost like unfair that it winds up coming down to that one play. and, And now, you know, It's a bummer for Tyler Boyd that he has that drop in in a potentially key spot because, I don't know, you had your chances as a Bengals team and and the coaching staff, I think, did a poor, poor job capitalizing on what was a poor job on on McVay's side of taking advantage of the opportunities they had. You mentioned the Beckham injury, and there were certainly elements that were tough for the Rams, but uh, when they needed the drive late, I mean, they got it. And that's when they were, you know, we see this so often. We talk about it when teams get backed up against the wall and they start to play aggressively. You said this in the after the Bills Chiefs game, how much we saw the two minute warning, two minute drill at the end of the first half and how much we saw late in the fourth quarter and into overtime, how good these offenses were. I think your comment a couple of weeks ago was basically that we wish as fans that we would see these offenses approach every possession that way in the first and the third quarter that's how I felt with seeing that last Rams possession was like, why were they not playing with this type of urgency all game? And and really both teams. I mean, it was just uh, the Rams just kept giving away downs with running plays. They were running the ball so poorly. The Bengals weren't really, really adding a ton of value either, but the Rams were the perfect example of like, why are you still running on first and 10 every single time? It was brutal. It was brutal in those. In well, those it felt like the only player they had was
2: Cooper cup and that you can't go to him every play. And yet when they actually needed to win the game, they did. And he was able to come through. So you're like, just start the forcing the targets into Cooper cup earlier. So you're not relying at the end, but I couldn't believe just, again, the way that the Bengals disappeared at the end of this game, after they go up 20 to 13, they only get four more first downs. If I, have it correct and it's only off by one one way or the other if I don't and so and even when they get that interception they only pick up the one first down and have the field goal I mean you're talking about after that T Higgins touchdown they did absolutely nothing and again I think part of this you know Jalen Ramsey obviously people note that he gave it three uh, two of his three longest plays of the season but yet he locked down guys for a huge chunk down the stretch here as Aaron Donald and the defensive line is starting to make their inroads and get those sacks. This was a very different game than, and a very different feel than what we got from Bengals Chiefs, where, as you noted, it felt like the Chiefs, number one, had it, but that number two, that both teams were going to have to keep scoring, even though they didn't necessarily. Obviously, you look at Chiefs' bills, and both teams felt like they had to keep scoring Interesting at all that we're in the Super Bowl here. And again, we have two good defenses. And and this game was a lot more similar to Rams 49ers. And to not give credit to the Rams defense would be completely inappropriate. But, you know, how much of this is just that it was a completely different environment? How much of it is a lack of urgency? You know, would the Chiefs and the Bills have been able to score and gap the Rams? I feel like they would at the same time the Chiefs were not able to do that when it mattered against the Bengals.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. The, the way the Chiefs kind of wilted against the Bengals is, you know, an argument against that point. I, they, they were better off against the Bills where the Bills continued to push them and they had to stay aggressive. I mean, it, I, again, I just get back to this point where some of these teams wind up in better situations because... Their backs are against the wall. They have to make more optimal decisions, essentially just throwing more and being more aggressive. You made the point about Cooper Cup. It was there when they needed it to be there. Why were they not trying to do – why didn't he have 15 catches in this game is the question that I have. Yeah, I mean, I think the Bills are the best example, and part of the reason I say it was their season, they're the best example of the team that sort of, regardless of opponent, always tried to play that way at all times. The Chiefs, in some respects, I think – you, you look at the fact that they got in the lead against the Bengals and sort of fell apart. I mean, I it wasn't entirely because of more conservative decision making. A little bit of that is outcome based, but I don't know. I think the Bills would have, would have been able to stay more aggressive had they gotten out to a lead on the Bengals, uh, whereas the Chiefs in some ways let them hang around. And the Rams sort of let the Bengals singer. I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from the Bengals who had an incredible season. They're super fun. I, I love that, this team. Like, I wanted them to win. Um, and I bet them. And I, I won the bet on the spread. I'm excited about that and everything. But, I like, I just feel like they deserve better. Like, I'm just disappointed. The big part of it for me was, like, part of the reason I bet it, and I talked about this on the show, was, and bet it the way that I did, was everyone was talking about the defensive line versus offensive line advantage for the Rams and, and other matchup spots where the Rams had these advantages. And I felt like no, like people were just looking at the numbers and refusing to believe that the impact Sean McVay could have negatively. Like our buddy Davis Maddock had a, a tweet that he said at one point. It just stuck in my mind. Uh, at one point, he said, "I give McVay an F minus for this game, and I deserve to lose my Rams bets." And I never like replied to or anything. Love Davis. I loved that comment. Obviously, Davis is um, thinking through every element of it, and I'm sure he was. M- very much considering that possibility as part of the reason you realized that uh was the reason that the Rams were not putting that game away in real time. That was his probably worst case scenario when he's betting on the Rams. For me, I, I was thinking the Bengals largely because I felt like the scenario where a Rams better was saying, I give McVay an F minus was a larger possibility than people wanted to recognize when you're looking at the stats and you're looking at the matchups and you're looking at the D line versus O line advantage. You can't just give away possessions. We talk about on the show all the time this, the constraint for NFL for football in general is the possessions. It's not time. Both teams get 11 to 12 possessions, typically in a game. McVay with a little bit more early down aggressiveness, a little bit more willingness to go forward on some of these fourth downs, potentially can maximize the, the scoring potential of his actual opportunities to score. Maybe gives, you know, worse field position if he doesn't uh, convert some of these fourth downs and allows the Bengals to have more of an opportunity. And in some respects, it's like, you know, your opponent, I guess, if you know that they're playing conservatively too, you know, maybe you just want to lengthen the field on them, but you know, I can't be too critical. They didn't end up winning. But I do think like that was, that was one of the major major storylines was this concern. I was more concerned about McVay than Taylor coming in. I know McVay has shown a propensity or excuse me, Taylor has shown a propensity to go very run heavy, but I thought, especially later in the year, he'd shown more willingness to just let Burrow kind of take the reins at times. I mean, I I just, I wish the, this stuff seems so easy to fix. And we talk, you know, I mean, the analytics stuff gets thrown around so much. It gets, it gets, becomes sort of a straw man. Talk about these like plays that are two win probability points or four win probability points. People are like, you know, what does that even mean? The reality is like, you start stacking that stuff up over the course of the game. It makes a big difference. poor decision-making early down run plays, fourth down, you know, not go for it decisions. You could, I, I don't know. Somebody probably already done this analysis, but I'm sure McVeigh gave up double digit win probability. I mean, that's that's like 10 percentage points of, you know, potentially whether or not you win this game. And he still ends up winning it because Taylor also makes so many decisions that give up several points of win probability. These things just seem so easy to, to clean up for me. I mean, I i just, I don't know. I have a hard time with it. I always go back to to Frank, our, you know, uh, Rotovis, Rotovis founder of Fantasy Douche's book, game plan which if anyone hasn't read it go back and read it he talks a lot about these types of things way back in 2013 uh, always ahead of the curve obviously um but discussed a lot of this stuff and how coaches don't have a great understanding of this stuff some of it is because of so many of the other elements that go into coaching they don't spend enough time actually practicing this stuff one of the analogies he uses is how like internet poker players would get so many simulations of hands they get so much feedback they would learn so quickly and frank's comment would be like this sort of madden generation who plays so many video games they get so much feedback on the decisions they make that they start to learn like, yeah, you want to go for it on fourth down and how to use your timeouts and all those things that the coaches and NFL teams, they get like 16 pieces of feedback a year. They get one season that they're not actually practicing this stuff in the off season. It's hard to practice, but probably the, one of the best ways to do it is to play simulated video games that would, would teach you a little bit more about these elements of the in-game decisions. I'm sure they're doing some stuff, but again like this it seems crazy to sit here and criticize professionals and it sounds like well you think really highly of yourself you're criticizing them at the same time when you watch it in real time you're like these guys have not run enough simulations in real time and seen the the effects of the decisions they're making which was frank's point in this book and seeing that you're going to lose more often than not when you make these types of decisions in these spots i just always get that impression on these ones and so it's so frustrating to me because it seems very easy let's just go play more video games it seems so easy to fix (laughs) It does. And it'll be interesting
2: to chat with a few of our buddies, a few of our contacts at NFL teams to see how much they think that that plays in. And, you know, if there are approaches with simulations that they believe are, are helpful for some of these NFL teams.
3: Hey, this is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz Flagship Podcast. I wanted to let you know that the podcast you are listening to right now is sponsored by BetterHelp. And I can speak from personal experience and tell you that if you or someone you love is struggling with depression, they're dealing with anxiety, talking to somebody about it can make a huge difference. And that's what BetterHelp does. Within 48 hours of signing on with BetterHelp, they'll match you with a professional therapist. These therapists have a broad range of expertise that might not be available where you live. This is a worldwide service that's easy to use, allows you to get matched with a therapist that you can communicate with, you can send messages, get thoughtful responses, you can even schedule weekly video or phone sessions. You can talk through anything that you need and BetterHelp is committed to facilitating therapeutic matches that can give you all of the benefits of traditional offline therapy. They want you to start living a happier life today And I believe that talk therapy is one of the ways that you can do that. Visit their website, www.betterhelp.com forward slash reviews to hear and read some of their testimonials. Again, you're going to want to visit BetterHelp, Better H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And we have a special offer for RotoViz listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash RotoViz. Can't recommend how important and how helpful talk therapy can be, so please check it out. We're driven by
0: the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: One of the things that I I do go back to with this game is that I think it's a little bit different perhaps than with a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or an Aaron Rodgers, which again, one of the reasons perhaps that we think that those teams were the best teams. You know, Rodgers wins an MVP that I think was completely and totally unjustified. And yet at the same time that if they don't have... You know some weird availability there with mvs and playing in the snow and all that you know, if you're going to put them on a field like this in a super bowl with aaron Rodgers back there you're going to feel very good i think about going out and scoring even though they were actually not able to do that in their playoff game and so again i think the teams have to look back and be like you know they actually didn't do it so don't claim that <laughs> it's inevitable that they would have but in this game when you look at both sides and again i mean both of these offenses have some big big weapons and you know jamar chase cooper cup probably the two most exciting receivers in the nfl right now or the best maybe with cup the most exciting with chase you know you have guys like Devonte adams and tyree kill that are obviously in that conversation as well and you do get some of these big plays and yet we do know that both teams have good defenses and that does come into play here and it's not just because okay the other team is a good defense you know we're going to make some suboptimal decisions on offense but I do get the impression they're trying to not make this gigantic high leverage mistake that changes everything when they're so close and on both sides of the ball you have that potential and we've seen Matthew Stafford do it over and over it's really cool that he won this game I'm a longtime Lions fan excited for him I think that during his peak he wasn't getting enough credit for you know being one of the three or four or five guys in the entire nfl that has this i don't know transcendent is the right word but has this arm right that is just different than what most of the quarterbacks have and it's really cool when you have an arm that's different it allows you to do some things other teams can't do and yet we saw some of the decision making you know we see the bad interception we know that matthew stafford could lose the game and that becomes more true once Beckham is out and they don't have as much upside either. So now you're tilting more toward the downside when you go for some of these things. And on the Bengals side, you know, that that threat with the sacks and how game changing those sacks can be, it it can't help, but influence sort of how you're playing, you know, if you don't want to make that high leverage mistake. And again, I would say that, that that's the wrong way to look at it. And that, you know, for the Rams now they come through and, and I think you do have to give the Rams some credit for using the strength of their team in as much as it is the defense, you know, using the defense to come through the 49ers, even though in some ways that doesn't feel like what happened, but using that, I mean, even you go back to the game with the Cardinals and now there's been, you know, all of this sort of weird upheaval and uproar with Kyler Murray, but it wasn't inevitable that their defense would go out there and dominate one of the most, exciting players in the game and it did so they came through they won these games if the Bengals had won they would feel justified in like not blowing it in the second half so i guess i i can understand where they're coming from and you know even something as as simple as being out there and coaching you know many years ago in a division two conference championship match and you just have this feeling of you know don't blow it hit the ball in (laughs) right and so you can understand the emotions that these guys are going through and yet
0: it it
2: it would have made a better game and it would have made a more entertaining game for the fans if they had been more aggressive
1: I, I get that and I get those elements I just think especially when you talk about the simulation thing part of the reason I think of it as being potentially super beneficial is if you're getting more reps and you're getting more decisions those things become second nature and then the anything that becomes more second, like that's sort of the goal when it comes to pressure is you're trying to make things be second nature, those types of decisions. You can't obviously imagine the amount of pressure these guys are under. It's a super bowl. I mean, it's insane. And, and both of them might, both head coaches might be thinking this is, you know, their last chance to get there. I think everyone has to think that way when you're there again, I'm not trying to be too, too critical. I just, I do think it's one of those things for how much NFL teams prepare and for how much they they focus on details and every other element To not have focused enough on those details to where that feels second nature, and you're making things, you're making decisions that I believe, personally, are just such clear mistakes in real time. I mean, if if somebody else who feels like they, whatever, I call me an idiot. I don't care. But like somebody who watches enough football or is you know whatever simulated enough football playing video games growing up. I don't know what it was, but that I'm able to sit there and in real time be like, this is not going to work out for you, and whatever, maybe it's confirmation bias on my part, but proved to be mostly right in those situations when I when I have those opinions. Like, I'm not just saying this uh, off the cuff. Like, I, I feel pretty strongly about these things. It seems very obvious. And it seems like something that that teams, coaches, they need to get better at somehow of practicing these things and finding a way to actually make them second nature so that when you get in these spots, you don't forget those elements. I mean, it's one of the parts of it that I loved about Brandon Staley this year and the chargers. And they got so much criticism because it didn't always work out. But when they got into the pressure spots, they stuck by it. It was second nature to them. These are the decisions we're going to make. We're not going to be uh, swayed by a success or failure on the last time that we tried it. We're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again and do it again. And if we fail on fourth down a bunch of times and we lose to the chiefs because of it, and it ultimately ends up maybe potentially costing us our season, that's fine. But we, we practice this. We put our, you know, d- our decisions into this or at least that's how it appeared to an outside observer such as myself, that they had simulated it enough. They had felt very comfortable with those decisions in real time, even in the biggest game for them of the year against the Chiefs when that happened. And, and they had so many fourth down situations that didn't work. They weren't influenced by the outcomes of their first. game. And year. they
2: won the first game yeah,
1: against the Chiefs
2: yeah, specifically because of that. And you look at the game at the end with the Raiders that they make this extraordinary comeback all of that is because they have been in those situations, they'd executed, and they'll, have, they'll be fine-tuning it for 2022 with these elite young players. They'll be better at it next year. Their team has confidence in it. Their team on the offensive side feels like the coach has confidence in us to convert these high-leverage pressure situations. And on the defensive side, the team knows coach has confidence in us because if they don't get it, we have to go out there and make a stop in a slightly less favorable situation. The coach isn't punning. So that we can get the ball down there at the 15 and we can stop them then the coach knows that if we get the ball back at the 50 we can make
1: the stop right and so you're showing confidence in both sides of that i i think you're totally right That one of my favorite early 2023 super bowl picks right there let's just get that on the board i think you're probably in agreement that The chargers are a nice, a nice value right now to go out and place an early bet for anybody who likes to do those types of things. So they're like, I think about 25 to one right now, but before, before we close, Sean, the the chargers and the Bengals are very similar teams. So
2: take the one that's cheaper
1: and Bengals are still in a great spot. They're another one of my favorite bets. They're not like incredibly expensive, still have a ton of cap space, still have the rookie quarterback contract. They're going to, they're going to be better, you know, into the future. But I want to – I do want to close before we go just talking about how good Jamar Chase is. First of all, the one-handed catch where he kind of stumbled and like kind of got twisted by Ramsey. We didn't even get to see replays of that. I felt like I was taking crazy pills. The announcers, they didn't do, I think, a good enough job of explaining how incredible that play was. I kept waiting for them to go back and re-show that play, and they didn't really do it unless I missed it when I was making my next trip. Maybe I just rewound it and watched it a bunch of times, but – Yeah, it's what it I – was a I, great play. I should have been doing. That was one of – like, I, I – tweeted this, and I I don't think it was that much hyperbole. It was one of the greatest catches in Super Bowl history. I know it wasn't, like, at the very end of the game or anything like that, but, like, the difficulty level of that, that felt like it had to bounce away. He one-hands it while being off balance. I don't know how he was able to stick that. Like, it felt like the Beckham play that we all remember where how did that ball stick in his hand? It looked a little awkward, too, the chase play. I think that kind of led to – maybe not as much uproar in terms of how good of a play that was. that was one of the hardest plays I've ever seen that was incredible he like maybe he made it a little bit harder by not necessarily keeping his balance and everything but I just I can't even imagine how he caught that and then he has the very casual one-handed catch on the backwards pass that went for a rushing attempt that if he doesn't bring it in where Burrow kind of threw it behind him that that winds up probably rolling out of balance for like a seven-yard loss he turns it into a gain. Uh, and then there was the quick hitch play where Burrow threw it to the outside, which was, you know, a, a good, well-placed ball, but chase sort of similar to the late hand stuff. We always talk about in one-on-one coverages where receivers bring their hands up late. He does a really late movement. Ramsey's bearing down on him to, to hit him right after this quick hitch. he has this late movement to the outside where the ball is coming, catches it while moving. He's already making his break and is able to turn up the sideline and gain like 10 yards. Three just absolutely incredible plays. I was I was uh struck by him in this game. Obviously we know he's a superstar, but it was just fantastic to watch him make some of the some of the biggest plays of the game in such a huge spot. So now that we have the
2: extra game, it almost doesn't even seem like that much of a bold prediction because we've witnessed Calvin Johnson get very close. Two thousand
1: yard receiving season coming from Jamar Chase. I mean, it feels like it is he the best receiver in the NFL? I think he is. I mean, I know he has some drops issues and, and with these young guys, we always say like, he's going to be one of the best, you know, it's like easy to think in your mind three years from now, he's going to be in the discussion for the top receiver in the NFL. J- Justin Jefferson is the other guy that's right there with him. But I think I would take chase over every other receiver in the NFL, Tyree kill, Cooper cup, Devonte Adams. I think Jamar chase is that good. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because he combines a lot of the things that
2: you want with the speed that I, you know, you look at Calvin Johnson and it's just that size, speed package. And Calvin Johnson was a leaper, too. There's absolutely no way to cover it. If your quarterback is willing to make the throw, then, you know, you're going to get the yards, you're going to get the touchdowns. Obviously, we think Burrow is willing to throw to him. This is a little bit of hyperbole, so I'll just state that. But I think that what we're going to see from Jamar Chase is a combination of what you get from Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. And so when you talk about having that much speed along with the rest of it, I'm going go back to this Chiefs game where, you know, he he has the biggest fantasy postseason wide receiver game ever. And there were plays where guys had the angle on him or should have been able... To hold him to only a 30 yard game instead of a 60 yard game and just ran away from them and you know when you think about that with the the context of the overall volume that he's going to get he's going to get behind the defense and get long touchdowns he's going to have a lot of the underneath stuff obviously we see that with tyree Hill now i mean he's basically a better version of tyree Hill, and so we're going to see more total production from him anytime someone can create long touchdowns it adds to what they can do for you in reality and fantasy that's one of the elements for jonathan taylor we talked about jonathan taylor doesn't have a low value touch and yet chase can do both things because he can get behind but also he can take that screen pass and go the distance when you can score either way and then you're going to have a lot of overall volume in addition you know how do you stop that
1: yeah i completely agree with all that the speed thing is such a great point he's so smooth too is i mean like really early in the year we were making the comparison a little bit to dj Moore in the way that one of the things I love about Moore, and I know everything comes back to DJ Moore on this show, but is that he makes difficult plays look easy. He's smooth, he's, he's an easy player in traffic on slants and and makes plays and ducks forward for another five yards or whatever. Chases that with Tyreek Hill speed, like you said. I mean, I was just talking about the little hitch where he works outside. And when you watch it, it's almost like was he trying to do it intentionally? I, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that I think he was sort of setting up Ramsey and making this late body movement away from the hit that he was feeling coming. And catching the ball in one motion and turning upfield. It might just be the case that he was a little bit late to react or whatever. The throw was hard into the outside. Regardless, it winds up looking so smooth that it doesn't even look hard. And yet, if you sit there, if you watch enough football, you can sit there and look at that and go, I don't see that. I have not seen that all season. A, a play, even though it was only like a 10-yard gain, and it was only a you know a throw that was a three-yard hitch. I have not seen a receiver make that type of motion while bringing in a pass and sort of turning away from a hit for a defender as good as Jalen Ramsey to be bearing down on you. And then you're not even just spinning away from the tackle. You time it so well that he's not even within range of putting a hand on you. Ramsey just went to nowhere, went to air and and Chase is going up the sideline. The smoothness of it too is just the part that gets me, man.
2: Yeah, and and as you describe that, it makes me think of, as long as we're talking about players, you know, in our post Super Bowl show that the show is all about, we got to go ahead and mention Stefan Diggs and the reason. One of the reasons that the Bills don't punt is that, in addition to everything else he brings to the table, I mean, good luck trying to stop Stefan Diggs on third and three, third and two, and I mean, Jamar Chase is going to get a lot of attention the same way that Diggs did this season. But you, you you add in the different things that Chase does. I mentioned the different ways he can get long touchdowns. I mean, keep the drives alive. How are you going to stop him on a third and two, third and three?
1: And he's, he's that with Diggs plus the speed that we talked about. And he's bigger. He's like, he's bulkier than Diggs. You know, Diggs is so good at that, but he's smooth. But then, you know, he's not going to necessarily run through arm tackles. Chase is another guy who like, sort of like DJ Moore in my mind, that it's not easy to bring down. I mean, they're not like AJ Brown after the catch, but not easy to bring down, especially with his explosiveness. Like, he's a whole package. The whole package.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think we got to give the Rams some credit and that defense some credit because they're not there yet, which is scary to talk about a team that <laughs> really should have won the Super Bowl, right? This Bengals team is not going to punt much in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Well, that'll do it for our Super Bowl edition of Stealing Bananas. As always, I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Check out and subscribe to his newsletter, Stealing Signals. He's got some new content out for you there. You can get a 10% discount to your Rotovis subscription using the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. We have the Rookie Guide out right now. and it's just a blast to sort of read through that and see how it affects, you know, what you're going to do in dynasty, what you're going to do in best ball. We've got some best ball content coming up that rookies will be a big part of. I'm looking forward to drafting with Ben in a variety of leagues here and putting that content on the show. We'll have all kinds of cool stuff coming up for you in the next month. Make sure you subscribe to the feed to get those shows when they come out. And if you can leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app, we really appreciate all of those. You guys have been fantastic. Hope you enjoy 2021 that just now concluded as much as we did. And we've got another exciting year on the way. We'll chat to you guys soon.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?